All God's people say, yeah. praise the Lord, that give God the glory. But if you saw one of the pictures, the lady that um, Tiffany Chan was standing with, she, uh, she said today that uh, after she uh, accepted Christ her Savior, she said that, uh, Pastor Fine, I just need to let you know, she said, I'm 70 years old, and she said, I've been in the Catholic Church all my life. And she said, I never knew till you preached this morning that good works could not save me. And she said, that really bothered me. She said, I had to get saved today. And so thank the Lord for that. And uh, there's a couple that you saw, an African-American man and his wife, who's Filipina, that came and just, uh, they're, they're just over here in San Lorenzo, if my memory serves right. And they came, sat in the, in the combined adult Bible classes, listened very carefully this morning. And then as they gave the invitation, they were probably the first two hands that went up. They wanted to get saved today, and our folks dealt with them. Just many decisions like that. We had a, had a family today, um, uh, a lady that uh, about two years ago, I took one of our men. I was training him on soul winning. And the street I'd been working on and we came to his home. The lady had come to the door and was very, very nice to me, but just very hesitant, told me she belonged to another church, so forth like that. But as I started questioning, I realized that she just had a lot of needs there and she wasn't getting it from her church. And so long story short, um, I took the soul winner back with me and she promised to come that Sunday about a, about a year or so ago. And she came to our church and has been coming faithfully. And uh, she introduced another lady to the church that that came. And the lady came, and so my wife and I followed up with her and saw her, oh, probably several months ago, went up to her, her condominium where she lives to visit with a retired lady and found her her husband is, a, is in a convalescent home being cared for and so forth. But just that extra touch just touched her life. And so she's been working getting her son and his family to church, and they came from Union City today. And we sat at the table and was just kind of howdy up with them a little bit, very friendly people, and kind of find out one of our teachers taught all of her children and uh, so they kind of bonded together. And so we just had a wonderful, wonderful time through that. But I just want to encourage you. The Bible is true when it says, let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I'm just thankful today for a church family that loves the Lord. And you made time in your schedules to help us. Yesterday as we were out just coming a few more doors, knocking on a few more people, trying to get some more people and build, building up our list. We came across a home. One of our church members, very, 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 very faithful church member. Um, we started talking to a man, very, very well-dressed, very, very presentable, professional Filipino man. And I was talking to him a little bit there. And I asked him what his name was, his first name. And he said, told me his first name. And he told me his last name. And, he told, and I, when he gave the last time, I said, hey, you are the brother. Uh, do you know a certain lady in our church? He says, yes, that's my sister. And uh, so we're thankful for that. And I texted her and said, hey, we met your brother. And I'm going to put him on my list of people I'm going to work on. She said, thank you. She said, I've been working on him, trying to get him saved. And she took another one of our ladies who's here tonight to witness to him. But the story goes on and on like that. We had a, uh, one of our, our faithful, in fact, it was Brother Danny's father invited his neighbor to come and his neighbor came to, uh, for the very first time and uh, raised his hands during the invitation during the, uh, uh, in the Sunday school they wanted to get saved and so they'll be followed up on but lots of stories like that and a lot of people of course have made commitments that they said they'd come maybe couldn't make it last minute but that doesn't mean they won't come in the future and I just want to encourage you just be faithful to the Lord let's not let's not stop at this and I think the message tonight will kind of encourage us about that matter as we watch what the Lord's going to do let's stand and take our Bibles tonight we're going to look at a very encouraging passage of scripture second Samuel chapter 9 2 Samuel chapter 9, familiar passage. If you're a Sunday school teacher for any length of time, invariably you've either taught the lesson or you've sat in church and you've heard a lesson taught on it. And I'm going to just take a little bit of a different route, but it just happens in our series through 2 Samuel because I want to get through this. I want to have some new series I want to start. Lord willing, I might do a series on Sunday nights next year on the book of Revelation. And I want to use that as an evangelistic opportunity, some new things we're going to try for next year on that. For instance, we might do something where we'll take one Sunday night a month 
and just make it a strong evangelistic effort to just get people who normally would not come on a Sunday morning, but they might come on a Sunday night to hear the gospel. So we'll do something like that there. But you, you bear with us tonight. And I want you to just look around. If you have a visitor guest here tonight who's not in the Bible, get a Bible to them. They can share with us. Second Samuel 9 is an incredibly, incredibly uh, encouraging chapter, and it just goes right along with our friend day today. And I want you to be encouraged today. And, of course, if you're new to the church and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, with open arms, he invites you to come to know him today. Second Samuel 9, I'm going to read all verse 13 verses, so you'll follow me today and uh, this evening. We just want to catch every word and let the Lord work in our hearts tonight. Second Samuel chapter 9. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him? Circle the word kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant uh, whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said unto him, art thou Ziba? And he said, thy servant is he. And the king said, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan has yet a son which is lame on his feet. What that means is he was crippled. And the king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Meshur, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Meshur, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. He bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? And then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertaineth to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore, and thy sons, and thy servants, shall till the land for him. And thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's sons may thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Ziba had fifteen sons, and he had twenty servants. That was a big, big plot of land that he took care of. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Zebra were the servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Father, tonight, to you and you alone be the glory for what our eyes saw and what our ears heard today. I can echo tonight, I think, the heart of many people this evening that we are, our hearts are overflowing with the goodness and grace of God. Thank you for visitors who came. Thank you for pouring out your love upon the congregation today. Thank you for loving this congregation. Thank you for loving our community. Thank you for visitors who came from afar. People introduced for the very first time to Heritage Baptist Church and got the simple plan of salvation that was presented today. And scores of people trusting Christ as Savior. Thank you for the seed of the word, the precious seed of the word that was sown in hearts today. And we know, Lord, because of that, that, Lord, there'll still be opportunities for follow-up. And we believe there will be many more decisions to follow. Thank you for friends here tonight. 
Though we may be weary physically, we pray tonight that we would be replenished spiritually. Though the outward man may perish, as the Bible says, we pray that the inward man may be renewed. Lord, we need wisdom. And Lord, we need understanding. And we need you, Lord, to love us. And God, we need you to care for us tonight. And we need you to take the character of Mephibosheth and speak very, very generously and very, very deeply in our hearts about our need tonight. And just growing in the particular area of doctrine we're going to look at this evening. Fathers, we close out tonight in this service. I pray that you feed our souls. And we pray, Lord, for guests who are here tonight, that their hearts will be encouraged by what we hear. And we'll thank you tonight for decisions made. And we pray all these things of you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This evening, we're back in our study of King David. The series we're on is about the king has come. David's on the throne of Israel. It's the United Kingdom. David is called the greatest king that Israel ever had. And David, of course, is a very heroic figure. And he's a courageous figure. And he's a man of great faith. And the Bible talks about David that he was a man after God's own heart. And we look at character traits as we go through this study that, that, that speak to our hearts about where, where David was at, where we can be. And tonight, though we're looking at David, we want to go off, we'll go off this a little bit tonight and look at a character that David poured out his life into, a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's name, his name means the extermination of an idol. And uh, previously before that, his name had the name Baal in it, and his name was changed later on. Mephibosheth is a wonderful character. He encourages our heart. He speaks to us about go- the goodness of God. And tonight as we look at this, you might want to write this in the margin of your Bible, especially if you're a new Christian or someone just trying to understand the Bible. You might write in the margin of your Bible that Mephibosheth is a beautiful picture of God. God's work of grace in the life of the individual. He's a beautiful picture of the work of God's grace in every one of our lives. He's the work of God's grace leading to salvation. And he's the picture of God's grace working in us after salvation. You see, this evening, as we think about the grace of God, many times we think about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible tells us in over Titus chapter 2 verse 12, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. And we're thankful for the grace of God as it reaches out to us. God's grace is his love that we don't deserve. But we must understand as we get around the Christian life, that grace is not something that just happens one time when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal savior. This morning, at least 12 adults. And we believe that during this week, maybe several children who responded during the invitation time that will be have been recipients of the grace of God. But we believe tonight that as the Bible teaches us that God's grace continues to work on us. You see, we need a work of grace in our heart. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that we must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And grace many times is how God works in our lives when we're under pressure, when trials and difficulties and circumstances happen our way. I was mentioning our so many times yesterday that we have a church, a church, a member that in our midst who didn't want their name mentioned about things and having gone through just a deep, deep spiritual, uh, physical trial this year. And we've been right alongside this situation. And I'll be honest with you, even as my wife and I were with them on the situation, going with them, doctor consultation, hospital consultations, things like that. We kind of even wonder if this situation, how it was all going to materialize. And we spent many hours begging and pleading God for just God's working. And the person had a little bit of a, a, 
uh, a little bit of a setback this week that was very alarming in situation. But we appreciate the testimony of this believer just as they're just, they said, please don't mention my name. I don't even want to be on the prayer page, anything like that. But they said, Pastor, you know, just Mrs. Vaughn, Pastor, we just want you to know that we don't really understand a lot, a lot of things. But we understand one thing. We know God's grace has been working my life. And they understood how God's grace just continued to encourage them and work them through circumstances and the pressures are under. And then you just know this and you know this and I know this, that we live in a pressure cooker society. There's a lot of pressures that everyone faces. Yesterday, I spoke to some of our, our single adults as they were getting ready on a service project to visit many of the families in our church and just to reach out to them and love them on our behalf. And, and I spoke to them about just overcoming the augs of your life. And if you know anything about your Bible, aug is a giant that's listed in Numbers and in Deuteronomy. And Og actually is the very first giant mentioned in the Bible. He actually was a much larger giant than Goliath. Og, with, the Bible says that Og, the bed that he, that, that he slept in was made out of iron and the bed in its length was about, about 13 feet long. So if it's 13 feet long, if he's like, if it, they made the beds in those days like we do in our days, you typically want a bed that's a little bit longer than you, amen? You don't want your feet right up against the board there, amen? And so, he, you know, maybe this guy was about 11 or 12 feet tall. No matter how you think about it, he was a big, big guy. He's 11 11, 12 feet tall, and you think about the breadth of the of the bed, how big that was, and uh, the man probably weighed in ex- a minimum 400 pounds, most likely, he probably tipped the scales of 600, 700 pounds. He was a big, big giant, and he came out, and he stood between Moses and Israel from going into the land of promise. He stood in the way, and he was a big giant, one of the first giants that are mentioned in the Bible. And we think about that. We talked about yesterday about how there are pressures that we have and there are pressures that we face of that where the world wants us to conform to it. And there's pressures of covetousness and there's pressures of all kinds that we face in our lives. And they're hard pressures and everybody faces pressures. We look at the situation tonight and we're going to see a man by the name of Mephibosheth where God's grace works in his life. And yes, we will touch on a little bit about saving grace tonight. But I want you to see something very interesting about Mephibosheth. And this is the title of the message. In Mephibosheth's life, we see where trials abound and sins abound and difficulties abound. We've noticed this tonight, that where sin abounds, grace much more does abound. And tonight we want to look at the subject where grace abounds, because we're going to see abounding grace working the heart, the life of this poor man, this crippled man, this this man who was a descendant of a king but would never ascend to the throne, this man by the name of Mephibosheth. We want you to see three very simple but meaningful thoughts tonight that I pray will touch your heart. Number one. I want you to consider the unconditional availability. Notice verses 1 to 3. David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when he had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And David, Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan is yet his son, which is lame on his feet. Now, the word kindness could also be translated the word grace. David was reaching out. David was at a period of rest and respite in his kingdom. Second uh, Samuel 8 is a great chapter, but not a great preaching chapter, to be honest with you. Second Samuel 8 gives us a, a recount of David's victories, of his accomplishments, as he met the different enemies. He took on the Philistines and different kingdoms, and he defeated them. David now is building a name after seven years on the throne as being a force to be reckoned with. He was not the underdog. He was the man on 
top. He was in first place as far as, as far as war was concerned. He was winning battles. We read about some of these things here in that chapter. And as he made these accomplishments and these conquerors, the enemies around them, the Philistines and the Amorites and people like that, they kind of just sat back and said, we really don't know how to deal with this, this army here. And so David had a period of rest. During this period of rest, David was doing what a good king should do. And by the way, during a period of rest, he was doing what a good Christian should do. He took some time thinking about people that were, that were important in his life. And he thought about people he needed to be a blessing to. And the very first thing as he was praying about what to do with his life, God put back on his mind a covenant that he made 20 years before. Not about you, but sometimes I have a hard time trying to think about things that I did 20 days before. Amen? Sometimes 20 minutes before. And he was thinking about a covenant that he made 20 years before. Now, you heard me say this last week if you were in church last, last Sunday as we talked about the Davidic covenant. A covenant is an affirmation. It is a contract that is made that is not to be broken. For instance, marriage is a covenant act that is not to be broken. The marriage covenant, the vows we have are not to be broken. Now, you go into secular society, they'll tell you something different. But a covenant, as far as God was concerned, was something that was not to be broken. It was an oath. It was a guarantee. It was a contract that was not to be broken. And David made a covenant back uh, back years before with a man by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan was the son. He was the heir apparent of King Saul. King Saul was the first king in Israel. Jonathan would be the heir apparent. But as David was moving along, David received great conquest, had a great conquest against Goliath. And from that point on, Saul, King Saul became very envious and very jealous of David. And as he heard the maiden sing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousand. Saul was very envious. And the Bible tells us he eyed David from that day forward. Instead of realizing David was his friend, he considered David his enemy. And every time he saw David, he had a javelin in his hand, ready to throw the javelin, ready to take him out and do something that was retaliatory against David there. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 18 that David behaved himself wisely in spite of all those things. And so later on, David realizing at a very tumultuous time in his life, he was realizing Saul doesn't like me. And Saul wants to take out my life. And Saul's trying to just, just wipe me out. And so notice here, if you look in your notes in 1 Samuel 20, we have a conversation between David and Jonathan. And the Bible says here in 1 Samuel 20, verse 12, when Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sat at my father about tomorrow any time or the third day, and behold, if there be good towards David, and I send, send not unto thee and show it thee, the Lord do so much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee and send thee away that thou mayest go in peace and the Lord be with thee as, as, as he has been with my father. Let me give you a background what's going on. David said, I've got to leave my post. It's too dangerous for me to be there. Probably a wise thing for him to do. He went from his post and moved away. And so he and Jonathan are talking in the field. Jonathan says, look, let me feel my father out. Let me find out if my father knows that you're missing and he says something pleasant, then I know that my father's heart's not against you. But if my father says something and I, he says, I know my dad enough. I know where he's coming from. He says, if I, if I feel my dad out and I find out he's against you, then I'll let you know. He says, I will not deceive you. I'm for you, David. And he showed his pledge for David a couple of chapters before that, because when David was being recognized just as the new hero in Israel, the Bible says he took off his robe and he gave his sword to him and things of that nature. He gave a pledge of saying, David, he says, I know I may be the heir apparent, but you're the real king. He was showing humility. I have no problem with the fact that you're to be the real king there. And so we read on in verse 14 here, and thou 
shalt not only while I yet live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. So David made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. What a great story of friendship. That even as Jonathan went to the grave, that they remained faithful to each other as, as, as normal friends. And when I mean faithful to the fact, they kept his pledge. And so David now is at a time of rest. And his mind goes back 20 years before, thinking about this pledge he made to his deceased friend Jonathan. Jonathan was deceased. Jonathan had died on the battlefield. Jonathan was slain because of the sins of his father. And so Jonathan's gone and he's buried him. David worked with the men of Jabesh Gilead. You remember that from a previous marriage, uh, a previous me- marriage, previous message, okay? Previous message to bring him back and to bury him there. I still got off of Kwong and Sherry's ma- uh, marriage the other night here. At, uh, but anyway, they, uh, <laughs> let's not go there, man. <laughs> but anyway, um, that, so he brings him back and he's buried him. And now 20 years later, he's thinking about, hey, you know what? I made a pledge to Jonathan. I told Jonathan that if I get through all this, I'm going to show kindness to him. But not only kindness to him, I'm going to show kindness to all his descendants. Now, you've got to understand back in that day, if you were a king, you became the king. Any of those predecessors before you, you as a king would take them out. When I mean take them out, you basically would slay them because you couldn't risk the thought of a threat to your throne, of an insurrection happening in your kingdom. And so this was, this was not, this was contrary to what any king would do. And David's thinking now, and he's not thinking about killing Mephibosheth. He's not thinking about taking advantage of Mephibosheth he's, or, or Jonathan's descendants. In fact, he doesn't even know who Mephibosheth is at this moment in time. He's just thinking about the, he's thinking about the fact, there, is there someone there left in verse 1 of the house of Saul that may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, David was saying this question, he asked this question, is there anyone I can show grace to? Is there anyone left that I can extend my grace to? Would you notice the wording and apply to where we're at today? Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? You see, grace, God's grace has no limit. That's why there's a problem with the false doctrine of Calvinism. Calvinism teaches a a grace that is limited. It talks about a limited grace. And I want to tell you this evening, this grace has no limit. There is no boundary to the grace of God. Grace has no restrictions. Grace is not biased. Grace has no boundaries. Grace doesn't look at us racially. Grace doesn't look at us financially. Grace doesn't look at us any other way. Our mental capacity, our physical capacity, or age-wise. God's grace looks at everyone and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's unconditional in its availability. He says, is there not yet any that I may show kindness too. You see, this morning we saw a great display of God's grace at Heritage Baptist Church. God's grace working over the last four weeks as we've invited and we've called and invited and called and asked people to come. And people graciously came. But more important than them graciously coming, we saw the grace of God pouring itself out through the congregational singing, through the special music Hearts being prepared and touched. We didn't do anything fancy this year about the service. All we did was just said, Lord, we need you to rise and work in the hearts of people. And God certainly did. And I just want to tell you today, as we think about David's question, is there any yet that I may show kindness to? We need to be a kind of people that says we're willing to say, Lord, how can we show your grace to other people? How can we have more special days to show the grace of God to? How can we have more special opportunities that the kindness of God and the grace of God can be 
extended to people to hear the gospel message. I'm reminded tonight, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, of the grace that abounds, the unconditional availability. But God commendeth His love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. I was reading through Romans 5 again last night, and just reminding myself of just the unlimitedness of God's grace, the, the, the fact that there's no boundaries, and it's unconditional, it's availability. The Bible tells us that though we're sinners, and though we're enemies, and though we were without strength, that we could not get to God on our own, God reaches out to us. And I want to tell you tonight, if this evening you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the grace of God reaches out to you. It's going, it's going out of His boundaries, if you would, to reach out to you, because it has no boundaries. Reaching out to you, that you might be a recipient of the grace of God. It is unconditional, it's availability. It reaches out to you and extends you an invitation to know God's Son, Jesus Christ, as personal Savior. Notice tonight, we see the unconditional availability. But notice quickly in verses 4 to 13, notice the second thing tonight that just touches our heart. Let's see grace at work. Let's see what grace does for us. Let's boil it down to some, some, just some one words here and there to help us understand what the grace of God does in the life of an individual. Let's see when we study this passage, what it did in the lives of people today and what it could do in the life of people tonight. Secondly, what you notice, the uncommon accomplishment. Grace is uncommon in its accomplishment. Lord, look, when we talk about love, our talk is cheap. And we say we love, we have limits, and we have boundaries, and we turn the clock off, and we check in and check out. But I'm going to tell you this evening, as we consider the grace of God at work in the life of Mephibosheth, because remember, David's question was, is there any left of the house of Saul that may show kindness to? He did not know who Mephibosheth was. He was waiting to find out who is left of his descendants that I can show kindness and the grace of God to. And David would be introduced to this man by the name of Mephibosheth. Ziba tells David, yes, in verse 3. Is there any yet? And he says, yes, Jonathan has yet a son. He had one son which was lame on his feet. Now, when we read that, we can kind of jump over that and not realize the ramifications of that statement. But Ziba said that he wanted the king to understand this son, this son of of Jonathan, this descendant, may not actually fit what you're really looking for. You're probably looking for somebody that's healthy. You're probably looking for somebody that's physically athletic. You're probably looking for somebody that has that's got it all together. You're probably looking for somebody that's living it up. You probably want to have somebody that could be very prestigious, that you can put by your side. He says, I want you to know he has yet one son, but he's lame on his feet. He's crippled. He's disheveled. He's not all together. He's not the kind of person that you'd really want around you. He's saying, are you really sure you want to extend your grace to him? Are you really sure you want to show kindness to him? Jonathan has a son that is yet lame on his feet. He gets this revelation about this. And we're going to see now in verses 4 to 13, David does not turn him away. David does not reject him. David does not ask any other questions about his feet or about his problem. David's more interested in the individual. Let me tell you tonight, God doesn't care about how messed up your finances are. And God doesn't care how messed up your family background is. And God doesn't care how bad your ancestry might be. And God doesn't care how messed up your job might be. And God doesn't care how psychology messed up you might be. God doesn't care about all the things that are messed up about it. All God is cared about is you. He cares about who you are. He cares about the real person, about your soul and about what you're all about. And we're going to see tonight, David's going to pour out grace and much more grace on in the life of this man by the name of Mephibosheth. Notice some things we read about him. Notice in verses four to five, some things we see about grace being uncommon in its accomplishment. 
First of all, notice in verses 4 to 5, we see a man that is ruined but received. Mephibosheth was a man that was ruined but received. And the king said unto him, where is he? The king didn't ask, what is he? The king didn't ask, who is he? The king asked, where is he? Can I tell you tonight, that's God's grace reaching out to you and me. God's not worrying about who you are. And God's not worrying about what you are. He wants to know where you are. And I'm thankful tonight, the eyes of God look to and fro, looking for men and for women. He can find you no matter where you're at. He's looking for you so he can extend his grace to you. And listen, the king, who's symbolic of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, where is he? And I'm going to tell you tonight, maybe if you're not saved, you've been running from God and you've been trying to hide from God. You've been evasive to the question. God is looking for you tonight. You may not be looking for God, but I'm thankful to tell you tonight, he's looking for you. He asked the question, where is he? And notice the king told, asked that question in verse 4, and Ziba said unto the king, behold, he's in the house of Nashur, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. And when David heard that, David is quickly calculating his mind. This man, Mephibosheth, is in terrible, terrible circumstances. First of all, the place where he's living at, he was living as a renter. He was living in the house of Mesher. He didn't even have a house of his own. Here is a king's descendant that lost everything. He didn't have any riches. He was living as a renter in somebody else's house, and most likely even Mesher may have even taken care of him. We read later on he had one son. We know nothing about Mephibosheth's wife. All we know about is Mephibosheth that, that at this point in time that he's crippled in his feet. We were told something else. We're told that he lived in this area called Lodabar, and he circled the word Lodabar. Lodabar literally means this, and you look it up on a, on a, on a map, going back to the Old Testament map. Lodabar was in the area of Gilead. This area of Gilead, Gilead was where, where Elijah came from. It was a rugged area. And the word Lodabar, the name means exactly the location. It talks about a place that is without pasture, a place that is barren, a place that is ruined. As a farmer, you could not grow anything in Lodabar. As a farmer, the soil was not good. As a farmer, there was not enough rainfall. As a farmer, you look at that land as being parched and difficult. It was not a suitable location. It was a place that was barren. And when David heard the fact that he was living in the house of a man by the name of Mesher, and this man was the son of Amiel, and he learned that this man lived in Lodabar. First thing David is surmising his mind, this man needs help, and this man is basically in a place of ruin. He lived in a place where there was no pasture and there was barrenness. And I want to tell you tonight, that's why we need God's grace in our life, because our background is such that we are in a place where there is no pasture, where we're barren, and we're in need of God's goodness. We're in a place where we need God's greatness. That's why I love what the Bible says in John chapter chapter 10, verse 9. John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And if he, and he says, and he shall go in and out and he shall find pasture. And the idea of pasture is that you'd find a place where there's abundance and there'd be a place where you can grow and there's a place where you could prosper and you'd have a place where there, where nothing would ever run out. You'd be well taken care of. When Jesus said he shall find pasture, he says, you'll never have to worry about a thing again because I'm going to take good care of you. And when David heard the word Lodabar, immediately David realized here was a man who needed God and here was a man who needed a king. And I'm going to tell you tonight, as we look at this man, Mephibosheth, he was a man in ruins. He was a man 
man greatly in need of God's grace in his life. And I want to tell you tonight, no matter how good a person you and I might be, when we have sin in our life, and we do, sin leaves us in ruins. Go with me back a, a chapter or so and look at Second Samuel chapter 4 so we can understand how this man, Mephibosheth, became a cripple. Notice, go back to chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible kind of gave us a prelude to this in 2 Samuel 4, 4, and then brings us to 2 Samuel 9, that we might completely understand the life of this man by the name of Mephibosheth. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 4, 4, and Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And what he's talking about there, Jonathan, Saul had been slain on the battlefield. And Jonathan, and, and so his nurse took him up. That is, the nurse took up Mephibosheth and she fled. And it came to pass that she made haste to flee. Notice this, that he fell, circle the word fell, and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. We read about the tragedy of this young boy. He He's five years old. Not about you, but I've been reading a lot about a lot lately about a lot of children tragedies. Not about you. I'm in a place of life when I read about children's tragedies. I go from mixed emotions. I go from the place of sadness and even tears in my eyes to the place of rage and infuriation. How could somebody treat a child to such a degree? How could someone be so mean? I read the other day, and I don't mean to gross you out, but I read the other day of a mom that was either on drugs and got kind of whacked out in her mind, and she took her two little kids and put them inside the oven and roasted and killed her children. I read the other day of a man and his woman who took advantage of a little child. I mean, you read these stories, and of course, I understand the media... uh, pounces on these type of stories because they, the media is all about sensationalism and trying to get us to read their things. But when you read these stories, if there's any truism about them, it should ju- just grip your heart about things. When we look at this boy by the name of Phibosheth, who is the son of a king, the descendant of a king, grandson of a king, and his nurse picks him up, and we're not sure where she's going, but she's running as she does so. Somehow, she drops the boy, and as she drops the boy, somehow, however he fell, it crippled him. He became crippled on his feet, and they didn't have time to set his feet in place, and they didn't have podiatry back in those days and they didn't have they didn't have uh, orthopedics back in those days to set his legs right and help him out in those situations and so this boy winds up instead of getting his feet fixed and his legs fixed he's crippled in his legs and you just can imagine that he can't walk normal like normal people he's just having to drag his feet along and he can't run he'll never be able to run he'll never be able to jump he'll never be able to play football he'll never be able to play basketball he'll never be able to play track and field he'll never be able to play soccer he'll never be able to do the things that other boys get to do he'll be walking around with his feet crippled and wandering, just kind of moving along. Just think we can move. They're moving at a slow pace. You can imagine being in a, in a line somewhere where everybody else is moving along. And some people like myself, we might get a little patient, not knowing what's going on in that condition. They'll see just he's taking his time because he's doing the best he can, but he can't move. And I tell you, you look at this boy, he fell and he was lame on his feet. Can I remind you today, he's such a picture of what sin, the ruinous sin does to our life. Listen, when sin came into the world, death came by sin. Sin brought the fall of man. Sin brought curse upon all of mankind. Sin ruined the human race. Sin ruined this world. Sin ruined everything that's going on and sin ruins our life listen the wages of sin is death that's the ruin of sin there and remind you that he fell and became crippled he was lame on his feet and i tell you tonight i don't care how smart you are and i don't care how much money you have and i don't care where you're at in society and i don't care who you think you are i want to tell you tonight we may be dignified and we may be important and we may be presidents we may be ceos we may be managers supervisors but i want to tell you tonight by the grace of god no matter what you are we're still sinners tonight and that sin has ruined us and takes us down for a fall tonight. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. David was looking for one crippled boy 
You go back to chapter 9. In verse 4, David said, Where is he? Church family, bring your unsaved relatives to me. It was my question for you. Where are they? Let me go get them. Let me reach them. Let me get the gospel to them. That's why we're here. We read in verse 5, David was not at a place where we get. We get kind of, we ask the question, we get paralyzed. David in verse 5 says, The king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Mashur, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Mephibosheth goes from the state of being ruined to now being received. Do you remember the day you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you remember the time, the moment, the place you see Jesus Savior? It wasn't maybe a, a mystical moment, and it maybe and it shouldn't have been a mystical moment, and it may have not been a maybe the you know the, the firecrackers went off, but I want to tell you that moment of time there was more joy in heaven over one soul that got saved than ninety nine that already repented. And I want to tell you today that when you trusted Christ your Savior, you went from being ruined to being received. The king received him. The king didn't care about his background. The king didn't care he was from Lodabar. The king didn't care about the fact he came from a place of no pastor. All the king cared about was one thing. He said, that boy needs to be in my home. And that boy needs to, I need to fulfill the covenant that I made with his father. And I'm going to keep that covenant. And listen, he went from being ruined to being received tonight. And I'm thankful tonight, if you're a recipient of God's grace, you came from being ruined to being received by God. Notice the second thing tonight about this, about the accomplishment of grace. By the way, Mephibosheth, the receiving of Mephibosheth, how do we know it was all of grace? Because Mephibosheth had nothing to do with it. He had nothing to do with it. There was no power in his part. It was all of David and nothing of, of Mephibosheth. And remind you, grace and saving us is all of God. And you have nothing to do with it. I appreciate what that 70-year-old lady said today. I've been in Catholic church all my life. I've been in Catholic church attending the mass and taking the communion and all of those things and going to the confessional booth. She said it wasn't until today as you preached the word of God and talked about will I be in heaven that I didn't realize that good works won't get me to heaven. She said that shook me up. And I realized today I needed to get saved. was ruined but received but notice something else verses six to eight he was ruined but received but notice in verses six to eight he was broken but blessed broken but blessed he was lame on both his feet he had nothing to bring he had nothing to offer david and remind you i don't care who you are you don't you don't have to worry about who i am you and i have nothing to offer god god offers us everything that we have Phibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David. He fell on his face and did reverence. Oh, what to God, we'd have that spirit when God calls our name, when God offers us to come in his presence. Let's fall on our face and do God reverence tonight. When Phibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, don't you, aren't you glad tonight God knows your name? And by the way, aren't you glad tonight God will never mispronounce a name? Amen. That's one of the hardest things about being an MC is if you get a name that's not a customary name or usual name, you always wonder, will I say the name correctly? Will I be insulting to them, you know? But thank God tonight he knows our name. He never mispronounces our name. Amen. Mephibosheth. 
And by the way, aren't you glad he didn't use today's vernacular? He didn't say, yo. He said, behold, thy servant. Mephibosheth knew who he was. He said, I'm a nobody. He's walking to the king's presence. Mephibosheth. Behold, thy servant. And by the way, he was disabled. But it didn't keep him getting on his face before the king. I remind you tonight, those of us who came in with both legs correct, both feet okay, it would do us a lot of good to be like Mephibosheth and bowing before God and doing him reverence. He comes into David's presence and he's scared. How do we know that? Look at verse 7. David said him, fear not. You see, Mephibosheth thought, man, my, my granddaddy messed up. My granddaddy tried to kill David. You can imagine, it was, and by the way, it was a long distance. That some people think by car, they say from Lodabar to Jerusalem, it could take a six-hour hour drive. I mean, that's like going from here to Southern California. I mean, at least there's a four or five-hundred-mile trek to get back, to get over there. And he had to go through the mountains of Gilead, so maybe even longer by walking. I'm talking about driving is a six-hour six hour, uh, commute. And so you have to imagine, he's probably tormented his thoughts. I wonder why the king wants me. How did the king find me? I mean, how did he know I was here in Lodabar? Who told him? I mean, how did he find all this out? Well, Ziba, why did you tell him where I live? You know, don't tell him those things. And he's making his way there. When he's sweating bullets all the way along there, thinking about, I wonder what the king's going to do to me. And he comes and he calls him by name. He says, behold, thy servant. And the first thing David does, he doesn't talk about all these other things. Don't do what David says in verse 7. Fear not, for I will surely show thee, say that word with me, kindness or grace. For Jonathan, thy father's sake, and restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Mephibosheth didn't even know there was a covenant between God, between Jonathan and David. But David kept the promise. And sometimes we don't look at it as we get into the Christmas season. I remind you, Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, we have the very first mention of the promise of the Savior where God tells Adam and Eve, he says that the, he says the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of Satan. And he was talking about there the seed of the woman being the Lord Jesus Christ and that Christ would come and he would bruise the head of Satan. He would conquer Satan by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And listen, from that point on, as we work our way through Genesis, so marvelous we see prophecy there. He talks about Shiloh coming in Genesis 49. And then we get to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says, behold, a son is given. And he talked about a son being promised to us. And he talked about Jesus coming and the prophecy of that. And listen, God kept his promise. We get to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 1, Mary is told, this innocent young virgin woman, she's told that she would be the virgin mother of this of this this little little baby. There'd be no man involved. It would be a virgin birth. God would be the father by supernaturally touching her body through the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And through that enablement of the Holy Spirit, she would conceive and bring forth the Son. And He would be called the Son of this highest. And He would be called the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so He was keeping this covenant here to Mephibosheth and telling Mephibosheth, listen, I made a covenant with your father. I'm going to surely show thee kindness and will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. You already told 
thrown in there. He says, everything you thought you lost, I'm giving you that plus much more. I'm thankful tonight when I got saved, I got much more than what I gave up. Amen. I'm thankful tonight that when I got into the family of God, there's more that God gives us than I could ever give back to him. And what a rich picture of grace. God kept the covenant promise. David kept the covenant promise with him. What a great picture of grace. We are not saved by any merit of our own, but simply faith alone in God's grace through Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross. As we work our way through this passage of scripture, Mephibosheth didn't earn any of this. Mephibosheth didn't work for any of this. Mephibosheth didn't deserve any of this. It's all a matter of grace there. And listen, Saul did mess up. And Saul became because of that, all his descendants should have been killed. But listen, God spared Mephibosheth because of the grace of the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 8, And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? God's grace is... We may become broken. We may be broke. But we're blessed. Grace is not something we deserve. Grace is God's gift given to us. And this man, notice how he's blessed in verse 7. He said, I will surely show thee kindness for John and thy father's sake. And will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. Talk about unselfishness. Talk about carving out. And by the way, if... Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, whatever that number was. That's a large, large amount of land to plow. Because servants of those days would continue to have a large family because they knew that would, that would guarantee them constant employment for, for a long period of time there. And so Ziba probably saw himself as being set for life working for Saul until Saul got killed on the battlefield. And now he's kind of wondering what's going to happen to him. And he's got, he's got a payroll. He's got a payroll of 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a big payroll. How many understand that's a big payroll? Amen. And if you have land to plow and to harvest and things like that, how are you going to feed all those people? How are you going to take care of them? Where are they going to go? And all they got to do is write in the resume, well, I worked for Saul. And they're going to say, well, I don't want you. Yeah, I don't want to get in trouble with the king. I mean, that's the kind of situation it was. And so there's a lot of land. And David in his grace says, I'm going to restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And then he tells us something we'll talk about in a, little, a moment here in verse 7. Thou shalt eat bread and my table continue. You know what he's doing there? He's telling Mephibosheth, grace is what you don't deserve. His blessings way beyond what we deserve. And I'm reminded tonight of Ephesians 1.3. Look at it, please. Ephesians 1 3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places of Christ Jesus. Listen, how could you not read the book of Ephesians and go through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and read about the blessings of God, how we've been adopted into God's family, and how we have the, the fact that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and Christ is the head of the church, and God has created a unified body, and all of these wonderful things that are given to us in chapter 3 there. And then he closed off chapter 3 by t- talking about that we were able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us and he tells us all those things by starting that off in Ephesians 1 3 by saying blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus don't say you're not blessed and don't say don't compare yourself with somebody else that you're not like them listen tonight every single one of us we started at the place of grace all the same and listen the place of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men God's grace just keeps pouring out and pouring Pouring out and pouring out and pouring out because we're blessed in spiritual uh, with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There, you're not lacking and you're not a pauper. And you're not in poverty. You've got more, and I've got more than we'd ever deserve in Jesus Christ tonight. 
He was blessed but not broken. But notice something else. He was ruined but received. He was blessed but not. He was broken but blessed. But notice thirdly in verse 9 to 10 very quickly. He was crippled but cared for. So in verses 9 to 10, David tells Ziba, you need to take care of that land. You get your job back, Ziba. By the way, aren't you glad tonight that when God blesses you, there are people around you, they get blessed too? That's a blessing, amen? You'll till the land and you'll bring in the fruits that thy master's son will have food at his table continually. You know what that tells me tonight? God should supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not all your wants, but all your needs. And here's the wonderful thing that we read tonight. He says, but Mephibosheth, thy thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. That's why I had to sing tonight, come and dine. Mephibosheth went from Lodabar, a place without pasture. Now he's sitting at the king's table. Listen, he was crippled, but he would be cared for for life. And I want to tell you, nobody cares about you like Jesus does. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. It's hard not being around a congregation like ours and getting around people who've got burdens and problems and concerns. Before they even get the words out and talk about what's going on, they break down and cry and unload their heart to you. And as much as I carry those with me, I want to tell you that nobody carries your burdens greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. He was crippled but cared for. Say, so God wouldn't want me. God can't use me. Oh, don't say that. You may be crippled, but you're cared for. He shall eat bread at my table continually. God's grace gives us strength when we're weak. God's grace helps us to serve when it's difficult. God's grace enables us to confront difficult people and situations no matter what. He, listen, he was crippled, but cared for. Listen to two verses I want to read to you tonight that I pray will reinforce us the matter that we may be crippled, but we're cared for by the grace of God. Psalms 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, this morning, this evening, you might be at a place of crippling. You may be at a place where you're broken. You may be at a place where you're ruined. But I just ask you tonight that just with just let go of your pretensions and let go of your concerns, let go of your apprehensions and let God's grace pour into your life and realize tonight that you may be broken, but you are blessed. And realize tonight you might be crippled, but you're cared for. And realize tonight you can come before that throne. Listen, unless right now, if you're not saved, that's a throne of justice. God's justice demands that sin has to be paid for. And sin was paid for in its entirety when Jesus died for all of our sins. That's the grace of God. But listen, when you accept Christ tonight as your Savior, that throne goes from being a throne of justice to praise God being a throne of grace. A place where God wants to make offerings to you and availability to you of His grace over and over again. And in Hebrews 4.16, we are given an invitation to come to God's throne each and every day. No wonder the Bible says to pray without ceasing because by praying without ceasing, it's inviting us to come before that throne of grace that on a recurring basis, a continuous basis, we can be recipients of God's mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And I want to tell you tonight, we're all in a time of need where we need God's grace so we can figure out what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to respond and how we're supposed to go. And we need God's grace to help us have strength for the day. Thank God tonight though God is a sun and shield. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. 
God's grace, we see where we're ruined, but received. We may be broken, but blessed. He is, we may be crippled, but careful. But notice one other thing, verse 11 to 13. He had hardships, but he was treated like an heir. David said, he shall eat at my table continually. David went beyond the notice, verse 11. This is even to the king, according to all that my Lord, the king has commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table. Notice this next phrase is one of the king's sons. Verse 13 says, for Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. It was lame on both his feet. Did you imagine this for a moment tonight? Mephibosheth was given a permanent place at the king's table. I forgot who I was with recently, and we were with somebody for a meal, a church family, and it was one of those those situations with a, uh, where they said basically, okay, the men eat over here and the women eat over there. Oh, actually, it wasn't our church; it was overseas. It was over in New Zealand. We're with an Indian family there that had gotten saved, and the, the preacher wanted me to the Indian family, invited some people over, and the husband said, "Okay, great, men over here, women over there." I said, "Okay," but the king's table. He said, I've got a spot for you. Seat right there for you. And as you read about 2 Samuel, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Or can you imagine? Here's this crippled boy, crippled young man, lame on his feet. He ate with the sons of David. He ate with Ammon and Chiliab and Absalom and Adonijah and Shephatiah and Ethraim. And much later, after Solomon would be born, he still would have the privilege of being there many years later. He would have a place from every single meal. He would eat with Solomon. Listen, he got to eat with the king's sons. His deformity and his disability did not preclude him from the privilege of eating with the king and his sons. He shall be as one of the king's sons. And I remind you tonight, what a wonderful thing. We may have had hardships, but we're heirs of the king. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And I remind you tonight in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, when the fullness of the time was come God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons and because you are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying Abba father wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son and if a son then an heir of God through Christ and I don't know about you but that's shouting ground right there amen Woo! that's good stuff God's perfect timing Fullness of time has come. God sent forth his son made of a woman. That's the virgin birth, beloved. Made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. He came to die for your sins and mine. He became just like us, but he wasn't like us because he was sinless. And listen, that we might receive the adoption. Son, listen, this new birth that we talked about this morning, the new birth gives you the ability of being adopted into God's family. We cannot enter God's family by our marriage. We have to be adopted into God's family. Adoption means all the legal rights belong to that parent. That means all the legal rights from that parent passed down to you. You are now in that lineage. And I'm thankful tonight as we read Galatians chapter 4. That God said, now because we're sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. And we can cry. And I like how it says there, Abba, Father. We say, Daddy. Daddy. Father. It's a term of intimacy. A term of endearment. 
It's like a little child running to its father. I think right now my mind's thinking about, about Jorge and Carl every, every Sunday morning when they go back there and shake hands and little Josue's right there by, by their side there. And Josue, he's a pastor, pastor, pastor. And he looks at me and he runs up and gives me a hug. But listen, that's only for a second because he runs back and hugs his dad and holds on to his daddy, man. Because he's a son. I remind you tonight, no matter, you may out be on a load of bar and you might come from a place of ruin, but listen, you may have your hardships, but you're an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Mephibosheth is a recipient of God's kindness and grace. We see tonight the unconditional availability. We see tonight the uncommon accomplishment. As we close, I need you to see one more thing. And I want you to go to chapter 19 with me. Because we want to just finish up about the life of Mephibosheth. I can't leave it hanging. It fits right here where we're at tonight. In chapter 9, we see God's grace working through David in Mephibosheth's life. In chapter 19, please mark this down. I want you to see now, many years later, the grace of God working through Mephibosheth back to David. And I want you to see this young man in a very difficult situation. Why God's grace must continue to work in our lives after we get saved. And so notice this passage here in verses 24 to 30. For time, I'm going to give you a, 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 a summary of what's going on here. When we get to chapter 19, and we'll be covering this, we work through it. David has gone through one of the most difficult times of his life. Listen to me tonight, because if you're a parent, you're going to face a situation like this at least one time. His son, Absalom, rebelled against David. He became disgruntled with his father. He became bitter with his father. And he got to the place where he stole the hearts of all the men of Israel. He stood in the gate and he stole the hearts of all the men. A son that David loved very much. And David saw it, knew it was coming, but he just ignored it. And then Absalom led a revolt. And then his chief, David's chief counselor, Ahithophel, who was the grandfather or, uh, uh, of um, Bathsheba, he, he joined sides with, with, with uh, Absalom and it just became very bad. And David took his mighty men and everyone else and they had to run and flee for their lives. Now we go from, I don't know, chapter 14, chapter 19, somewhere like that. David is in terrible, terrible, awful exile. Some of the greatest Psalms David wrote are written during this time of exile. David is in awful exile. He's going through turmoil in his heart and mind. Emotionally, he's disturbed because he's one, he doesn't know what to do. People are telling me, you need to kill your son. You need to do this. You need to do that. But he loved his son. He didn't want to hurt his son. David was such a loving father. He'd rather lose the kingdom than lose his son. That's just a thought for you right there. He'd rather lose his son, the kingdom rather than lose his son. And David's out there. When we get to chapter 19, and a number of David's friends come to him, and these men come and they bring some food and supplies because they knew David was in a plight and they'd run out of supplies and they came at the right time. And one of the people that came to him, and David thought he came with good, with, 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 a, with a good pretense and he came with a good, with a good motive was Ziba. And Ziba loaded up a bunch of donkeys. Remember now, Ziba was in charge of all of Mephibosheth's lamb and he was in charge of all the crops. Mephibosheth didn't even know what he had because Ziba was supposed to be a good steward of that. By the way, that's how stewardship went in those days. When it was entrusted to a servant, the servant was supposed to take such good care of it. All the owner had to do is say, give me an accounting and they'll be fine. And he didn't have to worry about that because he knew he had to have an honest accounting. Just a thought for you about stewardship tonight. And so he had, he just, Ziba comes, he has these donkeys and they're saddled up with all this food and they've got all this food and belong. You read about it, he's got bedding and he's got beans and he's got all kinds of things he brings to David and he comes out and meets him and David sees Ziba and he's, and he's and excited. He's excited to see a friendly face. He's excited to see somebody who's not against him or he thinks he's not against him. And he looks at Ziba and he receives all these goods. But there's something bothering David in his mind. He said, where is thy master? 
I see all your gifts, but where's your master? Hey, I come tell you tonight, I see your tithe, but how come you're not in church? Ziba said, oh, he stayed behind because when you left, he started to plot the takeover of your kingdom for his grandfather Saul. That wasn't true. Ziba just slandered Mephibosheth in front of David. He took, a da- took advantage of David's emotions and David's low point to manipulate his thinking that Mephibosheth was against him. And Ziba did that for one reason. Because Ziba didn't want to be a man. Ziba didn't want to be a steward. He wanted to be an owner. He wanted to own that thing. He wanted to take advantage. Worse than Absalom's rebellion was Ziba's treachery. And tried to steal what was a gift of God. To over, over there to Mephibosheth. Let me just tell you one thought here tonight. As you think about that. Whatever God gives you. That's from, that's from God alone. Now we get to chapter 19. David. Now Absalom's been killed. People are coming back. David, David is just going through hardship. He's already just gotten, gone through this terrible time of being exiled. And now the report that Absalom's died and, and he's just going through things and people coming back. And of all the people that comes back to him, read in chapter 19, we'll see a verse here. Mephibosheth comes. Let's look at that verse tonight. Look at chapter 19, verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest thou not with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he has slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. Hey, do you understand what's going on here? Mephibosheth heard that this is, that this and that Absalom had died. The report came back to the kingdom. Mephibosheth, oh, it's safe for me to go. And I'm not sure how Mephibosheth got there, but he made his way there. This lame man making his way there probably very slowly, one of the last people to come back to greet David. And David, first question, looks at him. And David's hesitant. He's very reserved. He says, hey, Mephibosheth, how come you didn't come earlier? Where were you when Ziba came? And David now is at this place where he's just, he's kind of gone on the other extreme of, of being, being, being uh, uh, suspicious. He's wondering, well, you know what? I, I, you know, Absalom turned to me and I'm not sure if you turned on me. I mean, I, all I did was good to you and all I did was help you and all I did was pour out my grace to you. And he says, how come you didn't come? And Mephibosheth with great, great sorrow of her heart. He says, I want you to know, King, my, my servant has slandered me and he misrepresented me. He took advantage of me. He knew I was lame on my feet and he knew that I, he knew I couldn't run and he knew I couldn't keep up with him and he, he took advantage of me. And so he took advantage of me and he came to you, King, and he told you, all these things, but really he did that to take advantage of me. And he says, but I want you to know something. Notice verse 27. He says, he has slandered thy servant unto my Lord the King. And this is what he said. This is so beautiful. He says, but my Lord the King, it says, an angel of God, do therefore what is good in thy eyes. Here's Mephibosheth's attitude. He says, listen, I've been slandered and I don't blame you for feeling the way you do. And I don't blame you for feeling like he's suspicious towards me. But he says, I want you to know one thing, David. You're as an angel of God. You're holy in my sight and you're still a king and you're God's representative and you're God's messenger as the angel of God. And he says, you're somebody special. You ought to be on the throne. He says, King, I don't care what, what, what Ziba said. All I care about this, you do what's good in your sight. If you think I should be demoted, if you think I should have the land taken away, if you think you should take all this away, if you even want to kill me, he said, do that which is good in thine eyes. Let me tell you tonight something, Christian. Grace, when it works in our heart, takes the hardships as well as the good things. And he said, I'm not sure what you're going to do, king. 
but do what's good in your sight. Around this room tonight, we have a lot of families, burdens, afflictions, sufferings, and hardships. Our human side of us says, let's pray an imprecatory prayer. You don't know how I've been disadvantaged and you don't know how I've been taken advantage of. No, but God does. And God works those things out for us. It takes unusual spiritual character to be like a Mephibosheth and say, do what is good in thine eyes. I'm not sure what you can do with this cancer, Lord. I'm not sure what you can do with this MS, Lord. I'm not sure what you're going to do with this disease, which they don't have a lot of data on. But Lord, I know one thing. My heart is do what's good in your eyes. And so, you have to remember David right now is sitting now. He said, wait a minute, okay. Ziba told me just a few days before, Mephibosheth is against me. He was plotting an insurrection. Mephibosheth knows now that Absalom's dead. He's coming to me. And David was a wise man. He was a strategist. He said, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe. You ever been there before? Two sides of the story. You're not sure what you're supposed to believe. And so David did something perhaps he should have prayed over about. But I want you to see God's grace working in this. So we read this passage and David says, okay, tell you what, I hear you, but here's what I'm going to do. Here's the land. And by the way, before all that, when Ziba came to him, you know what David said? He says, I just changed the title deed. I'm the recorder. I just changed the title deed. I'm going to give all the land to Ziba. So he took everything that belonged to Mephibosheth and gave it to Ziba. That's back there a few chapters before that. I think chapters 15 or 16 or something like that. And now David's listening to Mephibosheth. So here's what David says. He says, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give half of the land to you and half the land to Ziba. You guys figure it out. Notice what he says there. And so he gets down a little bit further. And the king says in verse 29, why speakest thou any more of thy, ma- of thy matters? I have said thou and Ziba divide the land. So David said, look, I'm not getting into bickering. I, I don't know really what's going on here. I don't know if we're getting, into, we're getting into a civil lawsuit here of some kind. But he says, I know one thing. He says, listen, I gave it to you and then I gave it to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I, this, I could tell this is all about the land. You're fighting about the land. He said, I'm just going to divide it in half and you take half and he takes half. And he said, I'm going to settle that. And I want you to see the grace of God working Mephibosheth's life. Mephibosheth answers the following. This is the last thing we read about it. And Mephibosheth said, Yea, might let him take all, for as much as my lord the king has come again in peace to his own house. And so here's Mephibosheth's attitude. Here's where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Here's Mephibosheth. He was slandered, but he was steadfast. He was defamed, but he was completely devoted. He was implicated, but he was held, he held tight to his integrity. Watch what Mephibosheth says. Mephibosheth says, okay, he says, King, doesn't matter. He says, you can give it all. Give it all to him. Let him have it. He says, you know why? He says, what's more important to me is the king's back on his throne. What's more important to me is that you're back in first place. What's more important to me is that you're back in the throne. Hey, listen, instead of squabbling about our goods, instead of squabbling about things and disservices and justice and doing each other wrong and things like that, our attitude and our heart should be, it doesn't matter about all those things. What really matters is Jesus Christ first in my life. That's what he's saying there. Cheap, talk is cheap. Mephibosheth said, let him have it all. Let him have it all. He said, first of all, what you gave me, I didn't deserve. 
First of all, what you bestowed upon me, that's all of grace. He says, kind of like Job, Lord giveth, Lord taketh, must be the name of the Lord. He says, you know what? Let him have it. I can go back to Lodabar. He said, like Paul, I've learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. Mephibosheth didn't, wasn't worried about getting his rights, or getting his land back, or taking retribution against Ziba. Most important thing to him was his king. See, when God's grace works in your heart, grace much more abounds. He was more concerned about his king than he was about his collections. He was more concerned about his king than he was about the land. He was more concerned about his king than he was about his prestige. He didn't care about that. He said, let him have it all. Let him have it all. He says, I just care about one thing. I want to make sure that you get the glory. I want to make sure that you're on your throne. You know what today? Tonight is not about, let's pat ourselves on the back and high five and all these things that we did. Praise God for that. Tonight is about the fact, only one thing really matters, that the Lord is on his throne. He's number one. He's number one in our heart. We can solve that problem. Everything else falls into place. You know why? Because seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Tonight we see where grace abounds from the life of Mephibosheth. Have you received God's grace for salvation? Tonight, do you know for sure if you're going to heaven? At scores of people in church this morning, many from religious backgrounds, who realized they weren't sure they were going to heaven. That was nagging in their heart. And scores of people, adults, very educated, well, well, good people. But people needed to get saved. They took time tonight, this morning, by faith, to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And tonight, I want to make extension to you this evening. You're not 100% sure you're going to heaven. I want to show you how you can go to heaven. I want to lead you tonight so that Mephibosheth was brought to the king's table. How God can bring you to his table tonight by simply accepting by faith Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And Christian friend tonight, is God's grace abounding in your life? To what degree is it abounding? Has his grace been quenched? Has his grace been buried somewhere? Is his grace being denied? Are you growing in grace when the pressure is on? Is grace much more abounding? Or is it the opposite way where grace is abounding? Sin is much more abounding. No, it should be where sin abounds. Grace did much more abound. And I wonder tonight if we're, if we're honest with ourselves to be like this servant, to say, behold, thy servant. To have that attitude. Let him have it all. Let him take it. That's not what matters to me. What matters to me most is who the king is. And the king's on the throne. And so our invitation tonight is very twofold. It's very twofold tonight. For every Christian tonight, we've experienced God's grace, but it's his grace abounding in your life. And for someone here tonight who's not sure you're saved, I'm going to invite you tonight to receive God's Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. Let's bow our heads for prayer. First of all, if tonight you're not sure, you're not 100% sure you're saved, tonight God invites you, just as David did to Mephibosheth, he invites you tonight. 
to come to his table, to be there permanently. God invites you to be in his family. As we read from Galatians chapter 4, God sent forth his son that we might receive the adoption of sons. God wants you to be part of his family. God wants you to receive his son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. And I'm going to show you how tonight. Very simply, by faith, you can pray where you're seated and ask Christ into your heart to save you. If you're not sure you're saved tonight, you know in your heart of hearts, as I was preaching tonight, that God has worked in your heart, that you want to be sure. Why don't you do that tonight? Why don't you settle tonight and make tonight, make today your second birthday. Be born into the family of God, to enter into God's family, to have heaven as your home, your guaranteed home, by praying and asking Christ your Savior. Here's what you can pray right where you're seated tonight. But these must be your words. You can repeat these words after me silently, or you can, pre- you can repeat it out loud, whatever you choose to do. But pray this prayer and make it your words. Dear God, I confess tonight I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I confess I cannot get into heaven without you. I believe your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins and rose again. From the dead. I take Jesus now by faith into my heart to be my Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life and for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name. No heads bowed and eyes still closed. Is there someone here tonight that by the raising of your right hand you'd say, Pastor, I'm going to raise my hand now to let you know. That I just prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior. I want you to know I asked Jesus by His grace to save me tonight. There's someone here tonight that would raise their hand and say, I prayed and asked Jesus to save me tonight. Is there someone like that? Is there a man or woman, boy or girl that say, I prayed and asked Christ into my heart tonight? There's someone here tonight, God spoke to you about getting saved and you just prayed? Some here tonight, you're still confused. You still have questions. You want to know what it means to be saved. You want to know how you can be sure you're going to heaven. You'd like me to pray for you. You don't have to. I won't call your name up, but if you'd raise your hand, I'd like to pray for you. Is everyone like that tonight? How many Christians tonight, God's worked in your heart tonight by speaking to us about God's grace abounding your heart. You say, tonight, I learned something about grace I didn't have before. I realize there's some things I need to do. I want God's grace to abound in my heart. Would you raise your hand? You say, pray for me tonight. God bless you tonight. Father, there are many pressures and trials and circumstances and conditions. And tonight, Lord, by your goodness and grace, we need your grace to abound in our hearts as it did from David to Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth back to David. Father, help us to come to that place of grace where what matters most to us is not what we receive, but that the Lord is preeminent as king in our life. What mattered most to Mephibosheth was that the king was on his throne. And now, Lord, tonight, we're so thankful for grace that saves, grace that strengthens, grace that sustains us. And tonight, Lord, may your work of grace abound in our hearts. Some are going through trials and difficulties. And tonight, they need to experience your strength being made perfect in weakness. Lord, we pray this evening where we have pressures and difficulties and challenges and giants looking down on us, Lord, that you give much more grace tonight. God giveth grace to the humble. And tonight, even as we talked about humility last Sunday, we humble ourselves again tonight that, Lord, there would be more grace. Please let your work of grace continue in our hearts. As we give the invitation, Lord, move us from being inhibited, 
Remove us from the place of being reserved and hesitant and hardened and doubtful and unbelieving. And let the grace of God work in our hearts. We ask this, Lord, of you now in Jesus' name. I'm going to give the invitation as I ask you to stand. If you need to come forward, you come and join me at the front. As we stand right now, if you need to come, you come this evening. If you need to spend time letting God's grace work in your heart tonight through trial, circumstance, difficulty, you come tonight. Don't inhibit the, the, the grace of God. You come tonight. As the pianist plays, we invite you to come. Grace for our trial. Grace for our challenges. Grace for our difficulties. Grace for our problems. Grace for our struggles. Grace, maybe you're, you're dealing with a temptation right now. and Maybe you're dealing with a bad spirit. You need God's grace in your life tonight. God, that's why the Bible tells us He gives more grace. He gives more grace when we have a bad spirit. Come tonight. Don't inhibit God's grace this evening. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you come tonight? Just say, Lord, I, I need the spirit like Mephibosheth had. I need that grace to bow in my heart. There's still time. Would you come tonight? If you're not sure you're saved, we invite you to come tonight. My pastoral staff, our deacons, their wives are here. And they lovingly would like to tell you how God's grace can save you from your sins. Would you like to get saved tonight? We invite you to come tonight. Would you come? Father, as we pray around the room and we consider this wonderful, loving story in 2 Samuel 9 and 2 Samuel 19, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Thank you for the bounty of your grace. Lord, help us to live in the spirit of grace in our lives. No wonder Paul, when he wrote those epistles, he said, Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you. Multiply your grace in our heart. We pray that grace that enables us to give, and that grace that enables us to be strengthened in spite of ourselves, let it work in our lives tonight. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful story about Mephibosheth. Thank you for the example it sets for us. We've had a lot to think about tonight, and we pray as we leave this evening that, Lord, you'll be glorified. We give you glory again for the wonderful results that happened this morning. And, Lord, feel what you're doing tonight. And all these things we commit to you and pray for that you might be glorified. And all of God's people say, amen.